Well, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, and we'll read verses 30 through 32, Leviticus 27, verses 30 through 32. Praise God. Leviticus 27 and verse 30. And all, someone say all, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy. Someone say holy. Unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem aught of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd or of the flock, even of whatsoever passeth under the rod, the tent shall be holy unto the Lord. And so today we are continuing on the series we began last week. This is the truth about tithing. We are in part two. Maybe we'll finish today and maybe we won't. Who knows? But we'll go as far as time and the Lord will allow. Amen. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift our hands, lift our voices. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Could we do that, everybody? Jesus, we need you today. Let's talk to the Lord. Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name praise God praise God amen God bless you you may be seated let me try to be as brief as I can in my review today so we can begin to cover some new territory I I started out in our last lesson, talking about how that so many folks who are against the practice of tithing are against it because their claim is it was an Old Testament law. This was something that was under Moses' law. We're not bound by Moses' law today, and therefore we don't have to do that. And so I pointed out to you, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, or all Scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture. Everyone say all Scripture. That means Old Testament Scripture as well. Everything we believe is rooted in the Old Testament. Everything we believe is rooted in the Old Testament. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.11 tells us that the things that happened to the people in the Old Testament happened for our example upon whom the ends of the world are come. That Everything written there was written for our sakes. And so we can't just discount what appears in the Old Testament. And throw it away. Now we do have to rightly divide it. We do have to understand. That there were things. That we are no longer obligated, obligated to keep. Moses instituted a law. 
was given to him by God. But that law really had three different parts to it. There was, first of all, a civil law. Because the Jews were a nation of people. And the civil law affected the way they would govern their nation. All right? I, I, I do need some amens just to know that you're understanding what I'm saying. Um, the civil law took care of issues like crime and punishment, caring for the poor, the treatment of, of strangers. Those kinds of things fell under the civil law. The laws of the nation of Israel. We don't live in the nation of Israel and the civil laws don't apply to us. Secondly, there was a ceremonial law because the Jews had a religion of Judaism. The ceremonial law dealt with the offering of sacrifices, certain things they could and could not eat, the holidays that they would keep. These things felt fell under the, the heading of the ceremonial law. They were a part of the Jewish religion. We don't observe the Jewish religion. And therefore, that, that ceremonial law does not apply to us. But there was a third and higher law that superseded everything else. And that was the moral law. The moral law declared what was holy and what was profane. What was right and what was wrong in the eyes of God. What God loved and what God hated. The moral law existed before Moses. And the moral law continues to be in place today. I explained that by, by telling you the Ten Commandments are a part of the moral law. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. We still believe in all those things, don't we? Well, some people do. Unfortunately, it looks like a majority of Kansans don't. Sad, sad day on Tuesday to read the results of the election. Sad day. But it's, it's the nation in which we live now. It's where we are. It's who we are. Not us. but America. But the moral law is still binding, and whether they like it or believe it does not change the fact that they're going to be judged by it. God's moral law has always been he said, I am the Lord, I change not. And so the things that God hated before, he still hates today. The things that God loved before, he still loves today. And tithing, tithing is a part of God's moral law. Now, Having said that, let me tell you something else that I pointed out last week. That the Jews actually had three separate tithes that they paid. There were three separate groups of tithes that they paid. They paid the poor tithe once every three years. 
And that poor tithe was designed to take care of the widows, the orphans, the poor. And a portion of it was to be given to the Levites. That was the poor tithe. That fit under the civil law, the Jewish nation. This was their taxes, if you please. All right? Just like we pay taxes, a percentage of our income to our government, and supposedly that money is helping the poor. That was the idea that God instituted for the Jewish nation. And once every three years, they set aside 10%. Now, that wouldn't be too bad if we only had to pay taxes once every three years and it was only 10%. Um, but that doesn't apply to us today because we don't live in the nation of Israel. Then there was the feast tithe, which fit under their ceremonial law. And that was to be put back every year, and it was to help them get to Jerusalem to observe their feast days or their holidays. They were to use that money to help them travel and help them celebrate. But that was a part of their religion, which we don't observe today. So we're not bound by the feast tithe. Now, the reason why this is important, church, I know this may not, it may not even matter to you, but it's important because when you talk to people who, who are against tithing, they'll go and find some scripture that applies to the feast tithe or it applies to the poor tithe. And they'll say, well, this is what the tithing's supposed to be doing. And if you're going to do it, this is the way it's supposed to be done. It's just once every three years. No, no, no. That's a different tithe altogether. So I'm trying to give you understanding so that when you are confronted about it, you have an answer. And then there was the third tithe, which didn't fit under the civil law or the ceremonial law. It fit under the moral law. Doesn't it just make sense that for each of these laws, there was a tithe that applied to that law? To me, that just makes sense. So the moral law is what we read about in Leviticus 27, and it was the Levitical tithe that God said was holy unto the Lord. Now, because it's holy to the Lord, it will forever be holy to the Lord. And the purpose of the Levitical tithe was the support of the ministry. That's what it was instituted for. That's why it was established. That they which serve the things of God would live of the things of God. Paul would later come along and explain. That's why God put it into practice. That is a part of the moral law. It started, as I pointed out to you, 400 years before Moses. Perhaps earlier than that, but the first recorded instance that calls it tithing was with Abraham who paid tithes to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God. Four hundred years before Mount Sinai. All right. And then 280 years before, we find Jacob making a pledge to God, I'll pay my tithe. And so this was something that was going on long before Moses' law. And therefore it was not done away with at Calvary. Do you understand? This continues on. All right? And, and so we talked about then in the closing of last week's lesson, we talked about three important things the Scripture declares concerning the Levitical tithe which is still in effect. And number one, it was never predicated upon need. You didn't pay your tithes because the Levites needed it. 
You paid your tithe because it belonged to God. And as Malachi would later come along and declare, if you don't pay it, you're stealing from God. It belongs to Him. So it doesn't matter if the Levites had enough or if they had too much. And we read that. We read it in the Scripture where they actually had too much. But God never said stop. Because it didn't belong to the Levites. It belonged to God. God let the Levites use it. And that's something Levites have to keep in mind. Is it's not theirs. It's God's. And it's something I try to be extremely aware of. Every dollar that comes in and tithe to me, this is holy money. And I'm not going to try to be lavish and extravagant or just blow it. This is holy unto God. And it's God's money, it's not mine. Well, praise God. Never predicated upon need. Number two, it was never used to finance buildings or repairs. It was always exclusively for the livelihood of the ministry. Exclusively. Any buildings that were built or any maintenance or repairs that went on was paid for exclusively by the free will offerings of the people. That was an offering above and beyond their tithe. In fact, I submit to you today that until you give an offering, you really haven't given God anything. I'll just throw this in. This was not in last week's lesson. We're getting ready to move into the New Testament, but I'll throw it in. One of you guys have your keys on you, keys to your vehicle. All right, all right. So come here, Brother Hilton. So what I have here is the key to a, what year is that? A 2017 Toyota Tacoma, right? You know that if you drive a Toyota when you die, you go to Japan. <laughs> you ought to buy American. That's a lesson for another day. Praise God. So, 2017 Toyota Tacoma pickup. Now, I'm really happy that Brother Hilton's about to get married. He's less than two weeks away. That was a slow reaction. Of course, you know she can still back out at any moment. Until you're pronounced man and wife. It's not too late. But I'll tell you what I want to do as a wedding gift. I'm going to give you a 2017 Toyota Tacoma. Congratulations. Proud owner. That's probably the most expensive wedding gift you'll get from anybody. Except your wife. And she's going to be more expensive than that truck. <laughs> now, I want to know if you're really impressed with the gift I just gave him. Is anybody impressed by that? Is that does that really strike anybody that I really did something great, phenomenal? Why? Oh, it was already his. So I didn't really give him anything. I just handed him what was already his. So by the same token, when you get one of these envelopes and you put your 10% in here, you're not giving anything to God. 
It's already his. You're just returning it to him. And until you have one of these envelopes and it's marked offering, you haven't given God anything. The offering is what's above 10%. That's an offering. That's what you choose to do between you and God. God doesn't set limits on that. God doesn't give us percentages on that. God doesn't tell us what we've got to do. And I know there are men that have suggested percentages, and we'll talk a little bit about all that before we're done at some point in this series of study. But I'm just going to tell you that God did not make a requirement because it is an offering. It's what you offer to God. If he requires it, then it's not an offering. This is of your own free will. God, here's what I want to give you. All right? So that's the way that the buildings, the maintenance, the repairs, all of those things, the way that they were financed, the way they were taken care of was not through the tithing. It was through the offerings of the people above and beyond their tithe. All right. We've gone through all that. Let's move on now because I told you last week that those who want to claim that tithing was only in the Old Testament, they need to study their Bibles more. I am going to show you today that tithing is in the New Testament. Now, I would remind you before we get into this, that the early church for many years was all Jewish. I would remind you before we get started that Jesus was born to a Jewish family. They practiced Judaism. They observed the Jewish law. They understood the Old Testament. And practiced it. In fact, the big problem was that they added to it. But ignoring it was not a problem. That's not what they were doing. They were not ignoring it. They were making it too cumbersome. And it became all about rules and not about the heart. When God said you have to rest on the Sabbath day, the rabbis sat down and decided how far you could walk before you were no longer resting. Now they really did. And they gave determination. You could only walk this far. And then you're violating the law of the Sabbath. There are only certain things you can do that would not be considered work or you're violating the Sabbath. And they added all of these extras to the law. But they did observe the Old Testament. So you have to think from their mindset when you read some of these scriptures or you don't see tithing here. But when you understand how they think, you see it clearly. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 23. Matthew 23 and verse 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay of tithe and mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ye ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Now let me just show you. I'll, I'll just leave that verse up there for just a couple of minutes. I want everybody to look very, very closely at what Jesus said. We still have a... We have a laser pointer in here that works. Thank you, Jim. I don't know, I'm blind as a bat up here. So, I want you to look at something here. Jesus said, you pay tithe. Right? Everybody sees that. You pay tithe. He said, you pay tithe of all these things. Everything you get, you pay tithe on everything you get. 
All your crops, everything. You pay, you're, you're careful to pay tithe on everything. He said, and you have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. And so some people want to say Jesus was saying judgment, mercy, and faith. That's all you have to do now. But that's not what he said. He said these ought ye to have done. That is judgment, mercy, and faith ought ye to have done. And not to leave the other undone. That's clear. Jesus said... I want you to keep paying tithes. Just don't forget about judgment, mercy, and faith in the process. But don't focus on judgment, mercy, and faith and quit paying your tithes. Right? And actually, by the way, I heard somebody say one time, you should never say pay tithes. Well, that's what Jesus said, so. I don't know why they have a problem with it. but now, now, let me just tell you. If I can show you in the Scripture that Jesus said it, why do I even need to go any further? If Jesus told us to do it, that ought to be enough. But I have taught you that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So we're going to give you more than one witness, all right? Now, let me just tell you another thing that when, when, when you point this verse of Scripture out to those who don't want to pay tithe, and I'm just going to throw this out free of charge, just something extra for you to munch on here this morning. You mark it down. You mark it down. Anybody who has trouble paying tithe, the real problem is not tithe. The problem is submission. Because tithing is an act of submission. And I'll try to remember to point that out in another verse that we'll get to in just a minute. Um, and I don't, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but, but listen to me. God built submission throughout his plan of salvation. He really did. You think about the plan of salvation. It involves what? Repentance. I'm glad my wife knows. I wish the rest of you knew. The plan of salvation involves what? All right. There's a few more. Oh, yeah, that's right. Repentance. And what else? Baptism in Jesus' name. And what else? All right. So, so that gets you started, right? That gets you started. So first of all, there is repentance, which is a matter between you and God. Repentance is something you have to do. The next thing is baptism. You can't baptize yourself. You're going to have to go submit to a man to be baptized. So that's a matter between you and the preacher. That's something that you have to depend on the preacher to do for you. That's an act of submission. And then you have to receive the Holy Ghost. That's between you and God again, but it's something only God can do. So are you seeing this? It starts with something only you can do, then it's something only the preacher can do, and then it's something only God can do. But just repenting, being baptized in Jesus' name and receiving the Holy Ghost doesn't guarantee... You go to heaven. What else is necessary? What? Yeah. Holiness. Without which no man shall see the Lord. And do you know a whole lot of the holiness that's required is a matter of submission. It's hearing what is preached and obeying it. Right? 
Peter said, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. Obedience, submission. This is required. So you find somebody that wants to argue against tithing, and I'm telling you, mark it down. They've got submission issues. All right. That's a little, it's not really off the subject. It is part of the subject. But, um, but I, I've heard them. Ta- I've, you take them to this scripture. You show them what, where Jesus said this. He said, don't leave this undone. And you want to know what their response is? Yeah, but Jesus was talking to the Pharisees before Calvary. So how do we answer that? Well, so the argument is, if he said it to the Pharisees before Calvary, it's not binding. Is that right? That's what they argue. So read for me John chapter 3 verse 1. There was a man of the Pharisees. There was a man of the what? Pharisees. Pharisees. Named Nicodemus. Named Nicodemus. A ruler, a of, ruler the Jews. of the Jews. So if we read verse 3, Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse 5, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Who was he talking to when he said that? A Pharisee. Did this happen before or after Calvary? Before Calvary. So he gave that plan of salvation to a Pharisee before Calvary, and yet we expect people to do that. Look, it's not that all they're doing, they just don't want to pay tithe. That's why they've got the they just they're just looking for a reason to not pay their tithe. In fact, I mean, let's be honest. The overwhelming majority of what we know Jesus said, he said it before Calvary. And the overwhelming majority of what he said, he said it to the Jews. There are a few exceptions where he spoke to a Gentile. But they're noted as exceptions. So if you're going to throw out what he said to the Jews before Calvary, you're just going to have to get rid of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Except maybe the last chapter of each book. Well, hallelujah. All right, let's see something else Jesus said here. I just wanted to settle that before I show you anything else he said so they don't use the same argument on the next one. Let's go to Matthew 22, verses 19 through 21. Show me the tribute money, and they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Who is this image and superscription? And they say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's. And unto God the things that are God's. All right. So, I want you to pay close attention. Jesus makes a statement here. He said, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. And render to God what belongs to God. What's he talking about? Go back to verse 19. Can you put verse 19 back up there? What was he talking about? Read it for me again. Show me the tribute money. Show me the tribute what? Money. The what? Money. The what? Money. What's the topic? Money. Money is the topic. I don't think I have a penny. I got a dime. Oh, here's a penny. I got a penny. And you know what's on this penny? The image of a president. You know why there's an image of the president on our money? So we don't ever forget this belongs to the government. Now, they're the ones that made it. They're the ones that let us use it. Right? But Jesus says here, show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And then, and then he said, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. 
And what's he talking about? Money. So what does he mean, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's? Give Caesar the money you owe him. See, they were asking, the question was, if you back up, if you back up to just before this, the question was, is it lawful for us to be paying tribute or not? Which tribute was the old English word for taxes. They said, is it right for us to be paying taxes? They were trying to catch Jesus because if they could get him to say, no, you shouldn't pay taxes to Rome, then they would turn him into Rome. And Rome would come down on him just like Washington would come down on me if I got up here and said, you don't need to pay your taxes. So the question was, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? Now, I will tell you this. I don't think you should pay one penny more than you owe. Find every legal way you can. But I stress the word legal. They said, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? And isn't it interesting the way that Jesus answered that question? Now, if the question is, do we pay taxes? And the answer is, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give God what belongs to God. What does that mean? What's the interpretation thereof? You want the Riggin Revised Version? Pay your taxes and pay your tithes. That's what he's saying. Pay your taxes and pay your tithes. Don't tell me Jesus didn't teach tithing. Don't tell me tithing's not in the New Testament. I've given you two witnesses. That's all we need to establish a doctrine. And these two witnesses both came from the mouth of Jesus himself. If that's not strong enough, you just don't want to know. Now, Jesus wasn't the only one that taught tithing. The apostle Paul taught tithing. Let me show you. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. For it is written in the law of Moses. Well, isn't this interesting? Let me just stop right here and just say, isn't it interesting? Here goes Paul quoting from the Old Testament. Of all things for this man to do, he's going back to the Old Testament. It's written in the law of Moses. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of, an, of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Uh -huh. Doth God take care for oxen? Or saith he it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, that he that thresheth in hope should be a partaker of his hope. If we have sown unto your sp you spiritual things, it is a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things. Now, there's a couple things that I need to point out here. Um, some of you will remember that I've taught in the past, there are many times when the apostles wrote and they used the, the plural pronoun we or our. And in many of those instances, in fact, I would say uh, probably most of those instances, when they spoke of we or us or our, they were speaking of the apostles. Okay? So, so Paul, Paul is, is using a plural pronoun here, and not just in reference to apostles in this case, but to the ministry in general. And if you'll notice what he said, let's, let's start again in verse 9, and let's take it slowly this time. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. For it is written in the law of Moses. Written in the law of Moses. Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth don't of the ox. Don't muzzle the mouth of the ox. That treadeth out that the corn. That treads out the corn. Now, here's what, this, this is, for some of you, 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 you don't understand because 
you don't have a history in farming and you don't understand all this. But, but these, these oxen would pull the plows. And, and as they're going through these fields, sometimes they would put a muzzle over the mouth of that ox because as the ox is walking along, he's going to reach over and eat an ear of corn or eat a whatever. And he's, he's eating up some of the harvest. And the farmer would want to make sure that he got every bit of his harvest. But God put it in the law that if you're going to use that ox to tread out the corn, you don't put a muzzle on him. You let him eat what he wants to eat, and you keep the rest. Now, Paul says, why did God do that? Why was that in the law? Does God really care about how much an ox eats? Is God really concerned whether that ox gets some of that corn or not? I mean, obviously, you're going to feed him, or else he's not going to be able to work for you. But does God care if the ox eats that corn? Doth God take care for oxen? Verse 10. Or saith he it altogether. Did God put that in the law altogether for our for sakes? For our sakes, the ministry sakes. So was it because he cared about the oxen or was it because he cared about the ministry? Read. For our sake, no doubt. He said it was for the ministry's sake, no doubt. This is written. That it was written. That he ploweth. So that he that ploweth. Should plow in should hope. Should plow in hope. And he that is and that, thresheth, that in hope, thresheth in hope. Should be partaker, should be a partaker of, his hope. of his hope. Now here's what Paul said. He said just like that ox. If he's going to be out there plowing the corn. You let him eat whatever he wants to eat. You don't stop him. You don't put limits on him. You don't tell him he can only have a certain percentage of it. You just let him eat whatever. He's the one doing all the work for you. You wouldn't get this job done without that ox. But he said God doesn't care about the ox. God put this in the law. So you know that when the preacher is up. And he's plowing your field. When the preacher is up and he's doing his best to raise up a harvest for the kingdom of God, don't try to restrict the preacher. Don't try to put a harness on the preacher. Don't try to put a muzzle on the preacher. Let him take what he wants. Don't put him on a percentage. And I know it doesn't happen here, but there are churches that that's the way it works. We're going to limit what you can have. We're going to tell you how much you can take. And that's in direct violation of 1 Corinthians 9 and 10. And then verse 11 says, If we have sown, unto, we you have sown unto you spiritual things, spiritual things is it a great is thing? It a great if thing? we shall reap, your, we carnal reap things. your carnal things. Do you understand what Paul's saying? He said, What we are putting in you is going to last with you forever. It'll take you to eternity. It's going to be with you in eternity. Whether you're saved or lost, what we've given you is going to be with you in eternity. You're going to remember the sermons that you heard. You're going to remember the Bible lessons that were taught. You're going to remember. It's going to be with you in eternity. But the carnal things, what carnal things is he talking about? Money. But when we get a little bit of money from you, that doesn't last very long. Paul's saying it's not really a good trade if you think about it. No matter how much you give the preacher, what you give him is only going to last for a limited amount of time. And even if it's plenty and it lasts his lifetime, when he draws his final breath, it's over. But what you get lives on. And so he said, is it a great thing if we reap something carnal from you knowing that we have sown something spiritual in you? 
forever, forever. Paul has destroyed the argument that what was done under the law has no effect on us under grace. In fact, let me just tell you this. Paul made reference to over 240 verses of Old Testament Scripture. And that doesn't take into account more than 100 that are in the book of Hebrews. Because some people don't believe that Paul wrote Hebrews. They're wrong, but they don't believe that he did. So for their sake, I'm going to give them that. But Paul, not counting Hebrews, over 240 Old Testament verses that he used. And then in Hebrews, more than 100. So you got about 350 just in the epistles of Paul and the book of Hebrews. Don't tell me the Old Testament doesn't have bearing. The moral law taught us God has appointed certain rules for the support of those who labor. Whether it's a preacher, a farmer, an ox. They're not to be regulated by anyone other than themselves and God with regards to how much they can take from the labors they bestow. In fact, we're not finished with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's read on verses 13 and 14. Do you not know that Do they you which not minister, know that they which minister about, holy about holy things live of the things, of the, of, the things of the temple? And they which and wait, they on, which wait on, at on the, the altar, altar are, partakers are partakers with the altar. With the altar. Now listen to verse 14. Even so Even hath the Lord so ordained. Hath the Lord ordained that they that which, they preach, which the preach the gospel should live of the should gospel. Live of the gospel. That's the ordination of God. That's the plan of God. That's what God wants. They which minister. And, and again, he's writing to people. They have an understanding of the Jewish way of life. And it, they understood very well when they brought their sacrifices, when they brought their tithes, even when they brought their offerings to the temple. There was a portion that the priest kept and ate. Because they weren't allowed to have their own fields. They weren't allowed to have their own animals. They weren't allowed to grow their own crops. The only way they're going to live is what the people brought them. And God instituted that plan and Paul comes along and tells the church at Corinth he was showing us in the Old Testament how he wants the New Testament church to operate. Sounds like to me he believed in tithing because it was the tithe that took care of the ministry in the Old Testament. And he's saying this was the ordination of God for the ministry today. Paul referred to the Old Testament method of ministerial support and applied it to the New Testament system. Just as the tithe was for the support of the Old Testament priesthood, even so tithing is the way God has ordained for gospel preachers to live of the gospel. Now, let's go over to 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, Thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth out the corn, and the labor is worthy of his reward. Okay, now, let's look at this. First of all, verse 18, does that sound familiar? He's telling Timothy, he's writing to his son in the gospel, a young preacher that he's raised up. And he's saying to Timothy, the scripture says don't muzzle the ox. Now, he's already explained that in 1 Corinthians. He explained what that means. He's talking about tithing, the livelihood and support of the ministry. So he says that, and then he said, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. And, and this one really strikes me as very, very interesting. Because 
He started out by saying the scripture says, Thou shalt not muzzle, muzzle the ox that tread out the corn, and the laborer is worthy of his reward. But you know, the laborer is worthy of his reward is not an Old Testament scripture. He's quoting from the gospel of Luke. Luke was his traveling companion. Paul probably read the gospel of Luke before anybody. But Luke recorded this in Luke 10 verse 7. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And so Luke recorded that Jesus instructed his ministers that you let the people support you because the laborer is worthy of his hire. Now, when, when King James, and I don't know why they did this, I have no idea, but when the King James translators translated this in 1 Timothy 5, they said the laborer is worthy of his reward. I don't know why they chose to translate it differently because it is the exact same Greek word. I mean, this is a literal word-for-word word quotation. And Paul called it Scripture. But here's what he said. The laborer is worthy of his hire. So Paul took a direct quote of Jesus Christ and applied it. Remember, he tied it in with don't muzzle the ox. Don't muzzle the ox is talking about the practice of tithing. Now Paul takes a quote from Jesus and applies it to the same thing. And he said the laborer is worthy of his hire. What does that mean? That means his hire is the tithe. That's the way the ministry is supported. I'm telling you, Paul was a firm believer in the practice of tithing. And he preached it and he taught it. And these folks who say it's not in the New Testament, as I said, need to go back and study their Bible again. Because we're not even done. All of these verses I've given you that Paul wrote, I'm not even finished yet. Let me show you another one. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. Okay, now, you say, well, where's tithing in that? Let me read to you from the Amplified. The Amplified Bible says, Let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher, contributing to his support. That's what the word communicate means in the original. You know, the Amplified just takes the original Greek and, and just expands on it or amplifies so that you have a better understanding of what the original is saying. And that's what this verse says. Let me read it to you again. Let him who receives instruction in the word of God share all good things with his teacher contributing to his support. You don't enroll in a college class and expect to get it for free. You don't expect a professor to teach for free. But it's amazing how many people think they ought to be able to go to church and not give one dime in tithing. And they want the preacher to feed them. They want the preacher to teach them. But they don't want to support him. Can I tell you some of the people who have been the most demanding of my time through the years? have been some of the people who contributed the very least. Some of them not contributing at all. I'm not complaining. I'm just telling you how it is.
the International Standard Version puts it this way. The person who is taught in the word should share all his goods with his teacher. And it's very clear when you look at this word communicate in the original, you find that the idea is to contribute to the financial support of. And there's only one way that the scripture ever lays out that the ministry is to be financially supported. And that's through tithing. So when Paul writes to the church at Galatia that if you're being taught you need to support your teacher, you know what he's telling them? Pay your tithes. Now, for those who are wrong and think that Paul did not write the book of Hebrews, Have I made it clear that I think he did? I think I've made that pretty clear. Um, and I have reasons why. In fact, I have a Bible reason why, but that's another lesson for another day. But Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, just in case you think that this was not Paul, whether it was or not doesn't matter, still divinely inspired scripture. Hebrews 7, verse 8 says this. And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. Okay, now wait a minute. When was the book of Hebrews written? Was it written under the Old Testament law or was it written during the New Testament church time? New Testament church time, right? And this puts it all in the present tense. And here, men that die receive tithes. My battery is going dead from this. I'm going to have to find a replacement battery. Oh, well, it was nice while it lasted. Men that die receive. Everyone say receive. He didn't say back then men that died received. But he says right now in the New Testament era, men receive tithes. But there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. In other words, you pay your tithes to a man, but it's really going to God. And God receives it from you. Now, I said earlier that when I got to a particular scripture, I would show you that this really is an act of submission. This is the verse that I had in mind because I want you to notice that men, men, men receive tithes. When you understand that you're tithing not to support the church, but to support the ministry, that makes tithing a matter of submission. Men receive tithes. Here and now, in the New Testament era, this was written to tongue-speaking, Holy Ghost-filled, New Testament Christians. And it's obvious that they were still paying tithes. Now, I actually had a man some years ago say, no Gentile was ever commanded to pay tithes. Do you think the Gentiles are exempted from the New Testament? In fact, do you realize how many Gentiles were in the church in Corinth? And Galatia? Don't tell me Gentiles were not commanded. And, and I mean, honestly, I had a guy go so far as to say, well, Peter sure didn't tell Cornelius to pay his tithes. What? Peter didn't tell Cornelius not to commit adultery either. He didn't tell Cornelius not to kill his family. I mean, you can't build a doctrine on what Peter didn't tell Cornelius. In fact, we don't even know what all Peter did tell Cornelius. We only know what he told him to get him into the kingdom. 
what he told him afterwards, we don't know. We don't have record of it. Acts 10 was not written to prove any particular standard. It was written to show that God opened the door of the church to the Gentiles. And we Gentiles can be saved. Well, hallelujah. All right, I've got 20 minutes and four and a half pages of notes. And I'm wondering if I should just keep plotting on or make it part three because I have a feeling where we're going into the next one is going to take me longer than 20 minutes. So maybe we need to come. And my wonderful, beautiful, talented wife has already been practicing a song this morning on the piano at the house, getting ready for just such a time as this. She came into the kingdom like Esther for such a time as this. Y'all pray for her. It's, it's soon going to be 42 years she has put up with me. Really longer than that when you count the amount of time that we were courting. Sometime I'll have to tell you how I won her over to me. It took some convincing. Roses and a limousine. True story. Has nothing to do with tithing, but true story. Um, roses and a limousine that I got from a funeral. <laughs> we'll tell the story sometime. <laughs> Jesus, help us. How'd I get on that? That's true. It's true. All right, we got to talk about loving Jesus right now. We'll talk about me winning my wife over some other time. Hallelujah. I just want to do what God wants me to do. Isn't that the way you feel? Amen. Amen. I want to please God. And, and I'll tell you this, I will, I will say this before I get any further, and, and I'll, I'll have to deal with it again in, in the next lesson, but let me just say this to you, that I've watched God bless those who tithe, even sinners who tithe have been blessed because they tithe. Do you know, do you know? That Welch's, the, the company that started out making grape juice, do you know that they started out trying to develop a non-alcoholic wine for communion? Mr. Welch was a very religious man, and he paid tithe off of his business, not just his personal income. And the company exploded with growth. I, I could tell you story after story after story. I, I even I heard about one man who was a sinner. He would not go to church, would not darken a church door. His wife lived for God. But he told her, I want you to pay tithes. Because every time you pay, he was, he was a professional golfer. And he said, every time you pay your tithes, I win a tournament. And I make money. Now, I'll have to explain that later on. I don't know. Get somebody smarter than me to figure it out. But I'm just telling you, God blesses those who do it. It's God's plan. And I'm going to tell you now that 90% with God's blessing will go a lot farther than 100% with God's curse. Right. 
And when somebody says, I can't afford to pay tithe, I want you to know you can't afford not to because that's God's money. I heard my pastor tell how his dad was so faithful in tithing, always tithed. And he said one week, or one month actually, I think he got paid by the month. And uh, I forget now what, it, what the amount was. But he said one month he got paid and they had so many bills and so many obligations. He said his dad was just distraught. But, but he told his mom, he said, I'm sorry, I just can't. I can't afford to pay my tithing. He said, I, I just can't. I, I just don't have the money. There's nothing there. And so he didn't. And that, I think it was that next day, he got up to go to work, got in his car, and the transmission fell out. And the cost of repairing the transmission was exactly what his tithes would have been. And he said, from now on, I'm going to pay my tithe regardless because I've learned God's going to get it one way or the other. God's going to see to it that I don't keep it. And I'm telling you, some people struggle financially because they've never learned you don't get to keep God's money. God will see to it that you don't keep it. You don't think so? Go back and read the book of Haggai. See what he said to them. He said, you put your money in bags. I, I poke holes in it. It's not even there. By the time you get home, it's not even there. Anybody ever felt that way? I'm telling you, you be faithful to God, and God will open the windows of heaven. Maybe not always financially, but I've seen him perform miracles, make provision in other ways. This is not, this is not a savings account, and this is not the stock market. You don't make an investment and then you get this big return. Of course, you don't do that in the stock market today either. I'm afraid I'm going to have to start preaching against the stock market, calling it gambling. I don't know. It's Although there's not much gamble to it, you put your money in it and you're going to lose it. That's the end of the story. Lord, we've been all over the place today. Um, but I'm saying that God will find a way to bless you ways that you can't even imagine maybe not with dollars but he will bless you if you'll stay faithful to him let's stand and love him right now can we Let's love him together, everybody. I love you, Jesus. I praise you, Master.